You're listening to CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. It's a forum for you to get answers to the tough questions and better understand the issues that matter to you. We're bringing this episode to you uncut and unfiltered, straight from the national stage. And it all starts right here, right now, on CNN. This is a CNN town hall event with four of the nation's top mayors who matter more than ever in these extraordinary times. I'm Laura Coates, and our guest tonight, four African-American women leading four cities facing the crisis in America. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, San Francisco Mayor London Breed, and Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. They are each on the front lines of the two enormous struggles that Americans are facing right as we speak, racism and the coronavirus. And over the next hour, they'll be taking questions from people all across the United States who are critically engaged in these important issues. But first, let's take a look at how each of these leaders have met this moment. Four U.S. mayors, four different cities, all dealing with a country in crisis. Black lives matter, black humanity matters. Protests spread across the U.S. after another death of a black man at the hands of a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota. All my life, I have fought with every fiber of my being to survive in a world that was built to throw flaming roadblocks in our way. As mayor, it doesn't mean that I'm immune from feeling the hurt and the pain. It's going to be incumbent upon all of us to be able to get together and articulate more than our anger. The anger, according to activists, is over how police operate. Shut it down! Propped up by a system that they say has devalued black lives for far too long. There's a lot of distrust of police and the government. Um, there are people who are craving to be heard. Being sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's so important that we follow through on the commitment for the investments in black and brown neighborhoods. But this isn't the only crisis these mayors are facing. A pandemic is still very much alive in their cities, and mass gatherings like the protests we've seen over the past weeks may have dire consequences. We don't know what the impact of um, these demonstrations will be on our COVID uh, experience in D.C. Black Americans are among the most affected by this disease. People of color are getting hit harder. There's no sugarcoating this. The numbers are going to get worse before they get better. We took the step before any other cities to declare a state of emergency. Four mayors all wading through uncharted waters. There's something better on the other side of this for us, and there's something better on the other side of this for our children's children. 
I can't tell you how excited I am to speak to each of you ladies tonight. I'm so intrigued by each of you, and it's very clear just how multifaceted each one of you is. And I have a funny feeling that each one of us knows what it's like to be at times feeling powerless and knowing the importance of speaking truth to power. But here you are, all each in a position of power, and I can't wait to hear you speak tonight to the nation. So thank you all for joining. And Mayor Bottoms, I'd like to start with you. You know, just this weekend, a Another incident captured on video of a black man dying at the hands of police, and it happened in your city of Atlanta when Mr. Richard Brooks was killed just Friday night. Now, the Atlanta police chief has resigned. The officer responsible, you know, has been fired. So what are you saying to people right now who are shocked, who are angered, who are sick and tired of being sick and tired of seeing yet another police killing before we've even had a chance to really catch our breath over what happened to people like George Floyd. Here we are in the midst of another protest. What do you say to them? Laura, this, is, this has been hard and it has um, really been difficult for me to put aside my own anger and sadness during this time and really be able to articulate what our communities need to hear because the reality is what can you say? Mm -hmm. I've watched the body cam video. I watched it for 30 minutes. I watched the interaction with Mr. Brooks and it broke my heart when he talked about his daughter's birthday party that he was planning for. This is not confrontational. This was a guy that you were rooting for. And even knowing the end, watching it, you're going, just let him go, just let him go let them call somebody to pick them up. And I think that's the challenge that we're all facing as leaders right now. People are looking to us to lead, but when these things continue to happen over and over again, we're asking ourselves the same questions. How do we lead during this time? We had just convened an advisory committee awaiting recommendations in two weeks on how we look at our use of force policies and not even three days into this advisory committee before I can even get a report. Mm -hmm. We have a deadly shooting in Atlanta and the only thing that I can call upon right now are the things that we have called upon historically. And that's just this reminder that we will get to the other side of this. But in the meantime, we gotta keep pushing and it, it it's, I know it doesn't matter to the families because their loved ones are gone, but just um, for them to understand that these deaths will not be in vain. There's a movement across this country and it is changing all of our cities. You know, when I saw you or heard you say that about rooting, it got me in my stomach and I saw every one of you mayors react to that notion of watching this and hoping for a different outcome, even knowing what was ahead. And I want to turn to our first question. It comes from Bree Gamble in Hampton, Georgia, and her former partner is Javier Ambler. Now he died while being arrested in Austin, Texas in March, not of this year, but last year. But the video of that arrest was just released last week. I wanna ask Mayor Bowser, here's her question for you. He was not just a co-parent. 
He was also one of my best friends. And now that he's gone due to police brutality, how will you make sure that these officers are held to the highest punishment possible for deaths, beatings, and mistreatment of citizens, especially when it's racially motivated? When will their positions be held in a higher standard than citizens when they commit these crimes? Mayor Bowser? Well, thanks uh, for that question. And I, I think certainly you and um, the, the viewer is talking about accountability. And what we have tried very hard in Washington, D.C. to do as we've been reforming our police department over the last 18 years is build in tools of accountability. And in 2015, for example, we outfitted all of our officers, all of our patrol officers with body-worn camera. Uh, and it's so important uh, for accountability for the officers uh, and for the public. But it's also important that that mayors, police chiefs also have tools uh, to make sure uh, when there's police misconduct, when there is a fatal shooting, when there is a use of force, that we have as mayors and police chiefs the ability to quickly um, institute discipline for officers all the way up through firing. Uh, and it's also very important uh, that prosecution uh, happens. And it's not the mayor's decision uh, whether a, a officer is prosecuted. Uh, so making sure that we're also holding our <coughs> prosecuting offices responsible uh, is important. And in D.C., we have an extra wrinkle in that because those prosecutors are federal. You know, I was one of those federal prosecutors in your own city. And so when you're talking about accountability, I'm glad to hear about the holistic approach. And, you know, Mayor Breed, if I can bring you in here, because I want this to be a conversation. I, I, the, the public does not want you interviewed. We want to hear from each of you and all of your dynamism in this in context. Each of you brings something so unique about your perspective. And Mayor Breed, you know, you're somebody who has been consistently arguing for wraparound services, a holistic approach. It's never just been, right, about just a criminal prosecution in one instance. Yeah, it, it definitely isn't because we know that there are a number of challenges disproportionately, sadly, in this country historically that African Americans have faced. And we know that we see, even in liberal San Francisco, uh, in many cases we see African Americans who oftentimes are uh, somehow the ones who are pulled over mostly by police officers here. And so one of the things that I am pushing for now is to make sure that police are not responding to those calls that don't involve violence. Why is it that if someone's painting in front of their home or doing some sort of chalk drawing that all of a sudden the police need to be involved? And in many cases, when it's an African-American, things can escalate. We have to hold our departments accountable, but also the bias training and the things that we do around hiring officers, we have to make sure that people who are racist, that people have who have problems with working with black people in some capacity or may have never been around a black person in their entire life. They should not be working in communities where they may engage with African-Americans, which could lead to some of the situations that we're seeing all over our country. I mean, from San Francisco, where you don't have a large population considered the old population of African-Americans, but you certainly do have the same disparate treatment of communities of color. But Mayor Lightfoot, you have a far more sizable population of communities of color in Chicago. What do you say to this issue of police accountability and what needs to be done? Well, if I may, what I first want to do is I want to acknowledge 
uh, Ms. Campbell's pain. You can tell by her voice that she's still very much suffering mm. and traumatized from the experience. And I think one of the things that's most important in this moment is that we don't forget that there are real live people who have lost their lives as a result of police violence and their mm -hmm. families continue to live in that pain. And I wanna make sure that we don't forget that. I've spent some time over the last couple days and including today talking to people that I've gotten to know, surviving family members, and they're feeling a lot of re-trauma through this experience. They feel lost, they feel hopeless, they feel pained, and in some instances, they feel voiceless. And we need to make sure that as we talk about these larger issues, that we never lose sight of the fact that someone has lost a loved one, and that person continues to feel that pain. So, yes, we absolutely have to address this issue. Uh, the status quo is clearly failing, even in cities like Chicago and others across the country where we've been working on reform issues for a number of years now. We have to accelerate the pace of that and really give voice to the pain and the anguish that we're seeing out on the streets every single day. People are sick of rhetoric. They're sick of talk. They want concrete action. And as mayors, that's what we've got to do to make sure that we listen. I think listening in this moment is critically important and that we act in a way that truly reflects the lived experience of the people in our communities that are suffering. I listened to a minister's sermon recently, and we were, of course, talking about COVID-19, mm -hmm. but he so poignantly said, we've been living with COVID-16-19 for far too long, and we've got to cure the systemic racism that leaves all of us hurt and broken and too far behind, too many communities left out of the greatness of our cities, our states, and our countries simply because of the color of their skin. And, you know, you talk about the idea of making sure to acknowledge these are human beings. They're not, you know, we talk about hashtag advocacy all the time, right, ladies? We talk about the idea of what it means to say somebody's name. And really, it needs to be a conscious reminder of all of the aspects of it and what it means to the specific and the symbolic here. I want to go, and speaking of listening, I want to go to our next question. It's from Crystal Cornelius, who's an oil and gas analyst from Houston. Mayor Bottoms, this one is for you. On various occasions, we've had to call the police to our home to make reports of crimes against our property. Upon arrival, and on more than one occasion, the white officers have asked my husband if he is on probation or parole. While this isn't a physical assault, it is an assault on his character. What do you really think would change this type of mentality among the people who are hired to protect all, not just the people who look like them? Mayor Bottoms, what do you say to that? Crystal, that's a great question. And the interesting thing, I was reflecting today on an incident when my husband was detained for shoplifting. He was in a store browsing, had on a hoodie, and he was taken in the back as a really? suspected shoplifter. Absolutely. And this happens to black and brown men each and every day, whether it's in their own front yard or whether they are out in a retail store. And what I would say was something we've, we've done in Atlanta and, and up until Friday, I thought we were doing it right. We have uh, implicit bias training in this city. 
We require people to go to the National Center for Civil and Human Rights. We have housing for our police officers in many of our communities um, in which they are serving in, but yet and still it's not enough. And so I don't think that we can out-train our way as a country um, out of where we are and how we view race and how we interact with each other. I think that while we're doing it in our police departments, there's clearly a bigger conversation that has to be had across this country because we are not in a post-racial society and the biases are still there and to the extent that there's any silver lining in this movement that we're seeing across the country is the fact that we are openly having this conversation because there are so many biases that people have that they don't recognize that they have and it's not just with our police officers it's happening each and every day. And you know, that's such an important thought because it's also not just an issue of white versus black. We see the bias across the board also in terms of it being a blue versus others as well. And so I'll hear more about that from you all as well. Stay with us. We'll have more questions for these mayors after a very quick break. You know, we'll ask about the protest movement that is sweeping American cities and how they've handled this extraordinary moment in history. And if we're angry, Let's not shrink from that, but let's use our anger to get results. After the break, more from CNN town halls and debates. Stay tuned. That message is to the American people, uh, that black lives matter, black humanity matters, and we as a city um, raise that up as part of our values as a city. Welcome back to a special CNN Town Hall event, Mayors Who Matter. Now we're talking about a unique moment in American history. There's a mass movement right now against racial injustice and police brutality. And I want to continue the conversation with the mayors who are here. Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, you know, I got to say, as you just saw, and we all saw, and we've all seen, the world can see now, you actually had the words Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter painted along 16th, which is really the street leading up to the White House. Now the next day, activists painted defund the police right next to it and you know that that slogan has become a bit of a rallying cry for some activists and I've got a question about that for you from Louis Kahn who's the president of the George Washington University College Democrats there is an emerging debate between those calling on police departments to be reformed and activists calling on police departments to be defunded arguing that money would be better spent investing in social services in predominantly black and brown communities. Where do you stand on this issue? Mayor Bowser, where do you stand? Mayor Bowser, are you, are you hearing us? Oh, we have a, well, you know what? This is an interesting topic that I know each of you will want to weigh on. I know in particular, Mayor Lightfoot, you have had significant thoughts and discussions about what it really means to defund the police, whether it's a matter of abolishing police departments or is it a matter of defunding or reallocating funding? What say you? Well, when I hear um, this discussion that's really, I think, been important over the last couple of weeks, a couple of things are clear. Number one, the status quo has failed everyone. But what I also hear is uh, people in my city and I think across the country really feeling like it's way past time that we invest 
in black and brown communities, that we invest in a system that shrinks health care um, gaps, that we, sh we invest in a system that eliminates life expectancy gaps, that we make sure that we've got good, healthy food choices, jobs that can you can raise a family on, all the things that are have been absent from communities mm -hmm. because we haven't spent the time and energy and resources and focused on them. That's what I'm hearing, and I agree with that 100%. That's why, from the very time that I took office, I talked about equity and inclusion, and I backed it up with key investments, making sure that we were taking the burden off of people from fines and fees in my city. We committed $750 million in infrastructure and other improvements in 10 commercial districts and black and brown neighborhoods. We've made historic investments in mental health mm -hmm. and affordable housing and other things of that sort. We've got to do better to invest in communities and sh we should not be investing here, investing there based upon race um, or ethnicity as unfortunately we've done um, for way too long. So I agree with those who are saying much more investment has to be you. done in our communities. But then again, and, Mayor Bottoms, and Laura, here in San Francisco, go ahead. Here in San Francisco, I just wanted to add that we took it a step further. We actually mm -hmm. did make an announcement that we are going to reduce funding in the police department and redirect that money specifically to the African-American community. Um, and this does not necessarily mean, I know we're talking about this movement, defund the police. This does not necessarily mean we are going to completely defund the police department. It means that we need to look at ways in which we can reduce the amount of resources that we're providing to the department, redirect those funds to the African-American community in San Francisco for better outcomes. And more importantly, as I'd mentioned before, why are police officers responding to things that don't involve violence, that may not involve a need for an officer to respond in the first place? Looking at things that we are purchasing that we no longer need in these specific departments. So making a real reform. I think people want reform, they want changes, and I think part of those changes would also mean that there will be a reduction of what we spend on our departments in our cities. But, you know, for example, Mayor Bottoms or Mayor Browser as well. I know you're back on the, on the, with us, Mayor Bowser. I'll turn to you on this issue. Yes, is, thank is you. A matter, is this a matter of slogan and messaging? Or do you feel that it's not just that people are getting the wrong message from not having a more nuanced conversation? Or is it that, look, your budget, the way you have it, you don't think you're overfunding or defunding or underfunding in any way? What's your opinion? Well, I think, and I, I'm sorry that I, I didn't hear some of the conversation, but I know that you're talking about how we reform our departments and uh, what types of investments we make in them. Uh, and I, what I have said to our, our city council, as well as residents across the district, uh, that the budget I sent represents the amount of uh, funding that we need for our police. But that's only one part of our public safety mm -hmm. equation, um, because right. police alone can't make neighborhoods safe. And so I've had the privilege of being mayor the last five years, and what we've seen uh, is our investments in education go up 40%. Our safety net services, in some cases, when I look at my human services budgets and homelessness budgets, go up over 70%. Health uh, investments, over 40%. Uh, and my MPD investments over that same course of time have only grown 12%. 
percent. Um, so we have to look at our uh, everything that we're investing in and make sure that we're investing in opportunity programs like education and job training, but also intervention um, like uh, our violence interrupters and mental health professionals in schools and doing all of those things. So public safety is more than policing, um, but policing is an important part of the equation too. As long as we're investing in good community-based policing, that we have our officers trained and equipped, that we're training them in de-escalation techniques, and that they represent our city. Uh, attracting the best of the best is very important uh, to the work that we do. So Mayor Bottoms, I mean, do you feel the same way or do you have a different perspective? Yeah, I, I think that it's very difficult for us to speak in slogans. So when you say mm -hmm. defund the police, the solutions are so much more complicated than the slogan. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate the sentiment and where we're trying to get to, but I think you have to look at our uh, budgets in its totality. So for example, in Atlanta, we, be we began almost two years ago looking at closing our city jail because we had ended our relationship with ICE during the family separation crisis. We were no longer accepting ICE detainees. We had eliminated cash bail bonds. So if you had $200 in your pocket to pay a traffic ticket, you could pay it and go home. If you didn't, you might stay in our jail up to six months. We ended cash bail bonds. So it gave us an opportunity to begin to reimagine and transform our city jail and take a look at how we were even allocating our corrections budget. So while we haven't slashed our police budget because it's primarily salaries, workers' mm -hmm. compensation, retirement, pensions, capital costs, et cetera, we have looked at our corrections staff and budget and we have slashed that budget by almost 60%. So it gives us an opportunity to take some of our correction staff and move them to our boots on the ground. They're, they are helping us feed our seniors. They are delivering meals to our kids. They're cleaning up our neighborhoods. So we are already moving in that direction. But I think it is a great opportunity for people who are now interested in municipal budgets to really dig in deep and have some say so, but not just get stuck on, the, on this one area of defund the police, but look at how we're spending all of our dollars. Well, slogans, Mayor, are better than municipal budgets, I gotta tell you, in terms of the excitement factor for, <laughs> for a lot of people about it. But you know what? If, if this was all you all were dealing with, it would certainly be enough. But as we know, the coronavirus pandemic is still mm -hmm. gripping the nation, even as mm -hmm. Americans are taking to the streets. And so the question we have is, could the protest lead to new outbreaks? I mean, we'll ask you mayors about your handling of the health crisis right after this break. It's a pandemic and people of color are getting hit harder. It, I am extremely concerned when we are seeing mass gatherings After the break, more from CNN Town Halls and Debates. Stay tuned. In our future, 
This is actually a live look right now at Washington, D.C., where protesters have taken over part of a major thoroughfare, Interstate 395. People are kneeling, sitting on the ground while cars are stopped. Welcome back to our special town hall, Mayors Who Matter. The coronavirus pandemic still is killing hundreds of Americans every single day. And the disease is taking an especially heavy toll on black communities in U.S. cities. I want to talk more about that with each of our mayors, beginning with Mayor Bowser, as you were seeing, of course, that a major thoroughfare outside of Washington, D.C. is stopped. And this is in mm -hmm. addition to fighting coronavirus pandemic. You're looking at a gathering of people largely unmasked. What do you think about this scenario? Well, we have had more now um, than 10 days of demonstrations in Washington, D.C. Uh, people are coming from around the country and all over Washington, D.C. Uh, to voice their outrage at what's happening in our country, to, to be heard and to demand a change. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're used to peaceful demonstrations in our city, uh, and certainly we're going to support um, these peaceful uh, demonstrations. Uh, you're asking, are we concerned? Uh, that it would have an impact on uh, the the pandemic and obviously we're very concerned about that uh, we've encouraged people uh, to wear masks to get tested if they need to get tested in DC or if they're traveling here to get tested uh, at home but I think it's important though um, that we not just look to protest as a reason why we might be seeing spikes across the country um, because uh, before these protests we were seeing spikes I think at least 14 states that reopened early or that where we saw a lot of gatherings around Memorial Day are reporting spikes. So the reopening of America, in some cases early, has already generated increases in cases. Um, so we can't only look to protest if we see in a couple of weeks more cases. Well, you know, it strikes me when I'm listening to each of you mayors and I'm seeing what's happening and we know, of course, COVID-19 affects the respiratory system. We know the impact it has on lungs. And you can't yes. help but think about the backdrop of I can't breathe related protests. And so on the one hand, I'm sure each of you are questioning, do I want to silence people on this important issue? At what point does it take a priority for you? For example, Mayor Lightfoot, when you look at this and you see what's happening, I mean, this is really stopping topping the world in its tracks, but for a righteous reason. What do you think about this? Look, all of us support um, the righteous civic outcry and First Amendment protests, uh, particularly uh, given the events of the murder of George Floyd that really sparked this movement. But we all have a responsibility as leaders in this pandemic to also um, exercise caution. And I am concerned about a surge and a spike based upon the number of people that have been in close proximity to each other over and over and over again, the number of people who are not wearing masks. Um, it seems a little ironic to talk about hand hygiene in the middle of a protest, but we know that these things that we have practiced over 10 long weeks have what made sure that we have protected our cities and uh, protected us from seeing a huge spike in deaths, a huge spike that would um, render our healthcare system unable to meet the challenge. So yes, 
as a mayor and somebody who um, has really spent a lot of time making sure that I understood the nuances of this public health crisis, I am concerned. You know, it's it's difficult, Mayor Breed, when you think about the idea of peaceful protests and gathering and assembly, but then social distancing comes into play as well. It's difficult for people to wrap their minds around that. But I have a question for you. I want to go to Bellwood, Illinois. Um, Amy Ralph and her brother, Reginald, recently passed away from COVID-19. Now, he was actually mm -hmm. turned away from urgent care, and he was only 50 years old, 50 years mm -hmm. old when he died. Mayor Breed, this mm -hmm. is her question. Decades of research show that blacks receive inferior medical care to white patients. Also, blacks are suspicious and skeptical of the medical field. Harriet Washington coined the term medical apartheid and even titled her book, Medical Apartheid. What policies or programs have been implemented to build our trust and to ensure that we are not denied and shut out, but believed and heard and will ultimately receive quality health care? Mm. Mayor Breed? Well, first of all, I'm so happy to, it's so um, um, hurt to hear about her brother and the fact that he was turned away and didn't receive the health care that he deserved. Um, here in San Francisco, when we first issued a stay-at-home order, one of the first things we did was put together an equity team to focus on outreach in those communities that most likely were not going to get treatment, were not going to get access to testing, didn't have access to health care. And so we have a team of people under the Human Rights Commission here in San Francisco that went out every single day in various neighborhoods in the Bayview Hunters Point, the Tenderloin and other locations to not only provide educational information in the appropriate languages for those who may not speak or read English, but we also provided food and, and resources for people financially who lost their job who may not qualify for unemployment. So the work that we did from the very beginning centered around equity and making sure that people like Reginald had access to resources. And I'm sorry that in this particular case uh, that the system failed him. Uh, and we have to do better because unfortunately this is a real challenge all over the country. Access to health care for especially yes. African Americans disproportionately is a problem everywhere. And that's really why when this pandemic hit, the work that we did was extraordinary. It was extraordinary because it was important to me as someone who grew up in public housing and poverty and know that when things like this occur or a situation occurs, we're the last one to get resources. We're the last one to get help and assistance. Mm -hmm. And so that was the work that we did from day one here in San Francisco. And it has had a tremendous impact on people's lives. I mean, it's also the idea can I, If here, I can right? jump in. Of course. If I can jump in. Um, like what happened in San Francisco and London's been an incredible leader throughout on a, a number of different issues. But like what happened in San Francisco, we formed a racial equity rapid response team. And we really grounded that, again, in public health, um, in the science, but we also uh, really invited community leaders to be hyper-local, to reach people where they were. L look, if we're honest, one of the things that we all fought against early on was black folks feeling like they couldn't get the virus. 
And so we spent a lot of time doing myth busting to really reach our African-American and our Latinx communities who weren't connected up with the healthcare system, needed a different approach to help educate them and give them the tools that they needed to be connected up with healthcare. And then of course, made sure that we were connecting them up with testing, which was so critically important. What I've said to my team is, I don't want to build temporary scaffolding. I want to build a foundation on which we can then close these healthcare gaps, close the life expectancy gaps, mm -hmm. and do it in a way that, again, is reflecting the lived experience of people mm -hmm. in our community, which is unique. And we had to go hyper-local with trusted community partners. And we've learned a tremendous amount from that experience, which we are using every day, but going forward to build a kind of infrastructure and support system that's really going to make a difference in these communities for years to come. You know, we're going to talk about, so go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the interesting thing about our discussions about race and our discussions about COVID right now, what it's shown us is that in America, we've been putting Band-Aids on gaping wounds. That's right. And so when you That's peel right. back the layers of COVID and you look at why black and brown communities are harder hit, it's because of the underlying health conditions. It's because we don't have access to health care. When you peel back the layers on race, it's because we are pretending as a country that we are okay and we don't have a problem with race in this country when it's very clear that we do. And so I, I think it's going to be interesting to look back and see how history judges us in this moment. But I can only hope that as leaders and as people across this country that in the same way the civil rights movement was a pivotal turning point in the history of this country and how we dealt with these very prevalent issues that we'll be able to look back and say that we made a difference in this moment in time yes. and just over the last 24 hours I've heard from each of these women who we are sitting with speaking with today and I think people should know that there is an extraordinary network of elected leaders across yes. this country. We may not always get it right, but we certainly are trying. I woke up to a phone call from Lori yes. this morning talking about how we look at real police reform in our city. I received a text from London. I received one from Muriel. And we're constantly comparing notes, whether it be from COVID or what, how we're dealing uh, with the unrest in our communities right now. And there are even others beyond you who I know are a part of that, 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 that really essential network. But I want to get back just ahead, more with you, more with our mayors who matter. We're going to talk about some of that networking, some of the unique challenges that you're all facing while governing as African-American women in this country. We'll be right back. My heart has been heavy. Yes, I'm the mayor but I'm a black woman first. After the break, more from CNN town halls and debates. Stay tuned.
a special CNN town hall event, Mayors Who Matter. Welcome back. And before I lament the fact that I'm not on the text message chat with any of you and I'm not bitter or anything, I know I'm not a mayor, but I'm just saying I would like to be a part of the chat. Let's get to some more questions instead, starting with a question for Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser here. Mayor Bowser, this one comes from Zita Andrus, who is an attorney from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Take a listen. How do you navigate your leadership roles as mayors, along with the stereotypes that are often imposed on African-American women? Mayor Bowser? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think all of the women here will tell you that, that women in leadership are questioned more frequently, um, more mm -hmm. fervently, and often more yep. wrongly than our mayoral counterparts. Um, but what we bring to leadership uh, oftentimes are uh, not just big ideas, but a pragmatism um, to get things done uh, and to really listen to our communities, use our best judgment, uh, and move forward together without all of um, the bravado and ego um, that sometimes comes in politics. And uh, we get it, uh, and especially right now in Washington, D.C., where we're in the belly of the beast, uh, where uh, we have to fight the federal government uh, so that we have full autonomy uh, in our city. And I think the qualities uh, that women leaders bring to the, that type of engagement uh, oftentimes can settle down an argument, get to the meat of what uh, our city needs uh, and deal with it. Uh, so what I would just say to the viewer is uh, we just have to use all of our skills. We have to be smarter, work harder, uh, and, and make sure that we're representing the views of our communities. Bravado and ego, I, I can't imagine in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else. I don't, what are you guys talking about? Is this a new thing only for mayors? Let me think about that. Mayor Breeze, you couldn't stop laughing. You couldn't contain it for a second when you heard that, that question. What are you thinking? Yeah, and, and what, I, what I think of is, first of all, I want to step back a moment and just really appreciate the fact that I am on CNN with these extraordinary mayors from all over the country, as well as you, Laura, and the work that you are all doing uh, to really lead and to take care of people, because that's what we are trying to do. We're trying to take care of our constituencies. Um, this is an extraordinary time and an extraordinary time for extraordinary leadership in the absence of federal leadership. Uh, and what's happening in this country is you are seeing mayors in particular, especially African-American mayors who are being called uh, like never before mm -hmm. uh, because of what's happening around race in this country. I have, let me tell you, I grew up in public housing. I grew up in San Francisco in poverty, raised by my grandmother. I've had family member killed by police here in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Young people that I know that I care about. When this happened, it brought up a lot of pain. And I think that even though we're mayors, I said I'm a mayor, but I'm a black woman first, because I have to remind people in San Francisco with a less than 6% African-American mm -hmm. population that I come from the struggle of African-Americans and that pain is rooted in who we are. Mm -hmm. And we are finally seeing something extraordinary, something different. And we wanna make sure that this movement, that what we see around these protests, that it amounts to something different. And we are in a leadership position where we are doing everything we can to make 
change. And we are excited about this moment. We want to see results as a re because of this. And I think that, yes, I, 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 as a black woman, it's a lot different than uh, probably anyone else when we are uh, questioned about certain things or treated certain treated a certain way called certain names that maybe a man's not called or what have you but we still roll up our sleeves and we do the work because that's what we care about we brush it off our shoulders and we keep it moving because we got people counting on us you don't have the luxury right. to compartmentalize I only have about two minutes but I definitely want to hear from both Mayor Lightfoot and of course Mayor um, Bottoms as well could you let me what do you think when you hear this Mayor Bottoms in particular when you know there's more multifaceted women here. What do you think? Well, what my mother always tells me is you only have to tell the truth once. And I just try and bring the truth of who I am to the table. And what I know is that it, it's all that it entails to be a black woman in America. Sometimes it means I have to work harder. Sometimes it means that um, even in working harder, I've got to balance that with making sure that the lunch is packed and the kids uh, have what they need for school. All of these things I bring to the table, but what I know is that when you're leading, um, not to be authentic is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And people don't elect us <laughs> to be something that we're not. They elect us to be who we are mm -hmm. and all that entails. And for me, it's a black woman and I wear that proudly and I yeah. own it each and every day. Mayor Lightfoot, you'll have the last word, a few seconds. Well, look, we're all black women. And what that means is on our life journeys up to this moment and going forward, there are always going to be roadblocks. There's always going to be hurdles. We're always going to be viewed and judged in a different lens. But we are here as leaders because we know how to get things done. We do not let the critics get in our head and count. What counts is the work. What counts is the leadership, particularly in these difficult times. And I'm the most junior of the four of us, but I love these women. They have been great to me. We are sisterhood and we will continue yeah. to move forward in our cities because our people need us to be there and be present, and we are. Mayors, you most obviously matter. Thank you so much for joining us, each of you, tonight. I appreciate Mayor Keisha Lance Bottom, Mayor Muriel Bowser, Mayor London Breed, and Mayor Lightfoot. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of our viewers for watching. And that concludes this episode of CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. To make sure you're always a part of the conversation, subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. For even more updates, follow us on Twitter at CNN Podcasts. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.